Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Rick Brazel is the president and founder of the First Hunt Foundation. The First Hunt Foundation, as the name suggests, provides mentorship opportunities for people who are interested in undertaking their first hunt. Unbeknownst to me, there in 41 states, he has over 850 volunteers or mentors around these 41 states that are eager and waiting to take anyone that's listening to this podcast hunting for the first time. His goal is to have thousands of mentors around the U.S. and obviously to be in all 50 states. And so I wanted to have a quick conversation with Rick to just give him an opportunity to amplify his voice, amplify his voice and his mission to everyone that is listening to this podcast. And if you're interested in becoming a mentor, reach out to Rick. Enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. It's the life of a non-profit, right? Yes, right, man. Sending emails, phone calls, podcasts, conference calls, dealing with board members. Yeah, trying to find money. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? But you just got a... Um, uh, did I, didn't I see the... Um, didn't I see you got a fantastic grant from the NRA HLF here recently? Yeah, yeah, we got 120000 from Amazing. them for, for developing a new mentor training, but that all's a pass-through money. It goes to a contractor, so we really can't be discretionary with what we do with it. Sure, sure, sure. But, geez, what a, that's a, a nice chunk. Again, it, I know you don't get the money yourself to, like, support yourself. That's the tough thing, right? You get these great projects, and you've got these great ideas. Yeah. And it's just, like, almost a pass-through. 
Yeah, but it's going to be great because it's going to be available to all 50 states. It'll be free. We've got the state of the science. We got a, also got a grant from the National Mentoring Resource Center, which is a almost a pseudo-federal organization, but it operates at that level, and they, they get money from the Department of Justice, and then it goes out to as a technical assistance to help mentoring organizations such as ourselves. And the guy we got from that is just off the chart. Oh, my goodness. The guy knows the research on mentoring stuff that our outdoor world hadn't even thought about. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. You've got to just keep sort of reinventing yourself a little bit, huh? Just thinking outside the box yeah. on how you get to people and how you touch people. And Yeah. So I understand you talked to Ray. Oh, the, the, yesterday. the grapevine is, is, <laughs> is well abuzz and on fire. Yeah, I was chatting to Ray, and Ray happens to say that um, you know, he's going to be almost tied in with, I, I can't remember the actual terminology used, maybe like First Nations or... Uh, uh, forgotten Rights. Forgotten Rights, that's right. Forgotten Rights. Yeah. And R-I-T-E-S, that's right. R-I-T-E-S, yeah. it's... Uh, like everyone has forgotten, has a forgotten right. And um, I said, First Hunt Foundation, that's not Rick Brazel, is it? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, I happen to be talking to Rick Brazel tomorrow. So. Yeah, he put, a, he put out a deal to all of our national leaders. He said, I just did a deal with Blood Origins and Rick's going to be on tomorrow. <laughs> so it was funny. <laughs> well, Rick Brazel, uh, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Um, humbled and honored to have you on here well thank you for having me i appreciate it you want to give people a little bit of a background on who you are and who you work for and what you guys do sure yeah well i'm the president and founder of what's the first hunt foundation a nonprofit. we started up after i retired after 36 and a half years with the u.s forest service and uh started thinking, what am I going to do? Like most people, you know, when I retired, my whole hunting life, I'd always loved helping other people learn about hunting, mm -hmm. especially kids. And so I thought, well, we'll start this foundation and see how it goes. And I didn't plan on it growing, you know, it was something to keep me busy when I retired. But I'd moved around with the government. And then after I'm telling my friends in other states what we're doing, they go, well, can we do that here? Mm -hmm. And I start thinking, well, sure, why not? You know, and all of a sudden, now we're one of the largest uh, first hunter mentoring organizations in the nation. We're in 41 states now. We've got people operating in 41 states. It's crazy. So, Rick, what do you provide people? Obviously, First Hunt Foundation sounds like if someone wants to hunt for the first time and you're in 41 states, right. you're the people to come to. Yeah, our, we view our step as the right after hunter education. We do not do the state-sponsored hunter education. That's the state's responsibility. That's a requirement for us. You need to have completed that or be working on it before we kind of take you under our wing. There's a ton of folks that take hunter education that never go hunting. Their statistics are out there, like almost a quarter of them are oh, really? something like that. Yeah. It's, why it's, do we... They, is there some is there research to why that 25% doesn't undertake hunting? No, well, not not that I've seen, but part of it is that they don't have anyone to go with. They go with a friend, maybe they're interested and they just go and their parents aren't into hunting if it's a kid. Mm -hmm. And then they look around after they're done now, what do I do? And there's no one there to take them the next step and let, let us take you out and, and actually train you a little bit more on 
on shooting and tracking and all the stuff that goes becoming a hunter. And a lot of them go with their friends and then, you know, they get home and their friends to go hunting with their parents. The parents don't ask the kid to go with them. So we're just the next step. And uh, that's our, our role is to get as many folks out to save the hunting heritage. A lot of folks are like me, you know, 10 years from now, I hope I'm still hunting, but, sure. you know, with the health and physical stuff, you might not be up. And we're not bringing enough new hunters in. And so we're not too much worried about it today, but we're looking at the future. Yeah, yeah. Let's make sure hunting is still around in 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like on a state-by-state basis? If someone's out there, because we have a lot of non-hunters listening to this podcast, hunters that have hunted maybe once. Um, right. What does that look like in an individual state for someone? Well, it varies from state to state. Like, uh, example, Washington State, there's probably at least 200 mentors in that state alone. We've got roughly 850 volunteers, and they're all volunteers scattered in those 41 states. So okay. some states may only have three or four. Others have 30 or 40. Some of them have 200. So if you were wanting to hook up with one of our folks, you could go to our website. We have a map. It's the mentor map, and you can literally look, is there anyone close to me? And you hover over one of the flags, and it will pull up their name and their phone number, and you could call them, say a single mom has a kid that wants to hunt, and they don't hunt. And uh, and I don't mean being sexist, but that we get a lot of that. Uh-huh. And um, they could just say, hey, could you take uh, little Johnny out or, or Jane? And, and, and if our mentor, their volunteers, we'll try to work them in best we can. The, um, those individuals, how are they just, as you said, they're volunteers, but what, what are they doing? Like, what does the, that mentor do? Do they just, I guess it's individually driven, right? Right. Yeah. It's individual because we, one of the first things we do is ask a lot of questions. If you got a new person, like, well, have you ever hunted before? And maybe like, well, one time or maybe never. Have you ever shot a shotgun or rifle? What What are you interested in hunting? A lot of people think big. I want to go shoot a big elk, and like, well, that's probably not going to happen because that's you know a hard task for even advanced hunters to go out and, and get a big elk. So we educate them about what might be possible. Maybe let's start out with a with a deer and and possibly even a doe deer, just something that might be a little more achievable, and we'll work up from there because it's not a one and done. You you mentioned. The, earlier about the first hunt sort of sounds like, well, it's, it's your first hunt, but it's way more than that. That was just a name we came up with to, to uh, well, when I started, I had seven kids come to my place in Washington State and shoot their first deer. Okay. And years, years later, I'd see those kids and they'd come up to me on the street and say, hey, Mr. Brazel, I remember years ago when you let me do that. I'll never forget that. So thank you so much. And it hit me, that was their first experience. And I wanted, so we want the first experience to be good, but it's not their only experience. It's literally the first, first time you go out, let's make it positive, but let's have many, many, many more first experiences till the end of it when they graduate in a sense and become an independent hunter on their own. So really these mentors are, are providing several items that are potent, you know, really as you bet know better than I do are really addressing the barriers of entry for people to yes. hunt, right? Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of barriers, and that's been identified in the R3 Action Plan, which is an actual plan, a national plan that talks about how hard it is to get into hunting. One is 
is um, gear, just the cost of gear. And First Hunt actually has a lot of deals with a lot of vendors where we're dealers, but we don't sell to the public. And so we'll offer like Vortex, if a person wants their first set of binoculars, we'll get it to them at half, half price, basically, at dealer cost with no markup. Because we want them to not be deterred by the things that keep them from getting in, like the cost. Another one might be, uh, well, somebody to show you and train you because maybe nobody in their family has a clue. So now you've got a coach, a mentor, somebody to take you out, teach you how to shoot, how to be safe, how to look for sign, where to set, all, all the stuff that goes with hunting. A third one might be access. Mm. A lot of our mentors, because they're, they're already uh, avid hunters, they have access to private lands. They have access to the public lands, which, or they know the public lands because they hunt them already. So you've got somebody that can take you out and teach you these things. And I, we don't allow yeah. the word guide to be used. It, it kind of relates a little bit to guiding because you turn yourself over to somebody else that knows all this stuff. But it's we're a teaching organization, not a guiding organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, the word guide has some legal connotation in a lot of states, and uh, we would. We we'll never get a foul of the state laws because we don't accept any compensation, not even gas money for anybody. It's totally free. Everything we do is totally free. So if someone is listening to this and goes, "Man, this sounds amazing. I don't know why I haven't signed up to be a mentor, but I don't actually myself have access to land." Right, and there's a lot of that. We we go to shows, a lot of outdoor shows, and folks come up to us. We literally visit with thousands of hunters every year, thousands of them. Some of these shows, huge. And we get that a lot. It's like, well, we we don't know where to go. And so those folks that don't have access to private lands, we, of course, remind them that there's a ton of state land out there. I mean, and federal land, BLM land, Forest Service land, it's just, uh, it's out there if you'll go look for it. Now, you will have to compete with the other hunters obviously, because it's open to everyone. We would prefer on their first experiences to go on private land mm-hmm. because it's a little more of a controlled situation. You're not as worried about the stray bullets coming from somebody you don't see, all the things that we all kind of look over our shoulder on some public lands because there's just a lot of people. But um, but we tell people you've always got that opportunity to go to uh, to public lands. Now, the other thing that's interesting is that as a nonprofit, we have liability insurance, and that's hard to get, by the way. We could have a whole other discussion on that. <laughs> but, but, but when we go to some of these ranchers and we tell them that we've got insurance, and in fact, on some of the ranches that will let us take multiple uh, youth or people out there, we will get a separate policy on their ranch at no cost to them, and we'll, we'll absorb, that, absorb that, and it, it makes them feel like, oh, I feel much more comfortable now because... One, if you've got insurance, all of our mentors have insurance, so they're covered in case something happens. And now the private lander may be too. But we don't do that if somebody's just letting one time. It's just too much expense to do that for every mm-hmm. every private landowner out there. So you may be able to get some private land access if the landowners are willing to work with us and maybe let us take multiple people out there. Yeah, that liability wave is, is huge. I know that. Uh, because yeah. I run the nonprofit, I've looked at liability waivers. Um, for me, because I travel all around the world and engage yeah. different communities, and the individual, I, I spoke to a very small insurance company about it, and I never heard back from them. 
<laughs> but we got we got turned down. We had one insurance policy, and then we got bigger, and that scared them. We were in about thirty states then, and uh, so we started shopping around. And I found I got turned down seventeen times. I'll remember. I always remember that seventeen times from insurance companies. And you know what they told us? Those that were honest with us, they said there's two things. One is we don't believe kids and guns should be in the same sentence. Crazy. And two. There's always the chance of molestation, which in the real world there is. But we finally found a, an insurance company that loves what we do, and they're supporting us, and let's hope that they continue to support us. Yeah, those are two s strong worries, though. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're real. I mean, they're real. So, the, yeah, I, yeah. how do you, and maybe this is because you've just opened the rabbit hole, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. How do you vet the second one, Rick? Like yeah. yourself, like people say, because, you know, any Joe Blow can come to Rick Brazel and go, hey, I want to be a mentor, check some boxes. Right, right. Well, they have to pass a background check, and so they have to have no criminal record, which, you know, a lot of the bad guys might not have got caught yet. Yep. And the other thing is we promote not having, don't being alone with, with a kid, having another adult there, having a parent there, a guardian there, and that sort of thing. We think probably some of that, there may be times where people know the family. I, t I take some individuals out by themselves because I'm really close friends with the people at church I go to mm -hmm. for years. They know me, mm -hmm. and they're going to let me take their kid, and I feel confident doing that. But as a general rule, we don't want to be one-on-one -on -one with with young uh, young people. And we don't allow any overnight camping at all unless a parent or guardian is there. Well, it also makes sense to have the parent and guardian there because it's, again, another barrier of eight, uh, in, you know entrance into it that if they do this one time with the mentor, the mentor you know, is trying to get to as many people as they possibly can. And you hope that someone will pick up that flame, that individual, yeah. and move it forward. Well, and if you got a kid or a young person, then uh, the parent's going to be the one buying them the gear. They don't have a job yet, and so if they're going to continue owning hunting, and they're bugging mom and dad or whoever about, oh, I really want to do this. I need some boots now. I need a gun now. I need this. Well, they, they don't have an income, so it's, we need that support from their guardians to take them the next step because we can't. A lot of our mentors, most of our mentors, I'd say probably over 90% of them use their own firearms because when you get a new hunter, they don't have anything. Right. And so you're having to let them borrow your stuff while they're learning this. And so for them getting in, we need that parental support because there's going to be there's going to be some money exchanged later, which is why we have deals with a King's Camo and and Vortex, like I said, you know, we're PSC bow dealer, so and we'll we won't even mark them up. We'll just get stuff that costs for those people trying to get into to hunting. Rick, we've just literally all the time that we've been speaking about this first hunt program, we've been talking about kids and young yeah. adult and young people. What about Perfect. someone who's thirty five or forty five oh, that wants to come hunt for the first time? Does that do you guys cater to those individuals too? Oh yeah. Oh, most definitely. We call those adult onset, onset hunters. And uh, you just we triggered have, my the guy that helps me with blood origins. He hates any monikers associated with hunters. He hates yeah. trophy hunter. He hates adult onset hunter. We're just all hunters, according to Cody. Well, that that's a 
that's valid, but in the, in the R3 world, that's a term that they talk about. And uh, we have a national women's program called Share the Heritage. H-E-R is capitalized, and it's about getting girls and women into hunting, and we have a national director for that. We have a program called Connecting Heroes and Hunters, which is a veterans and first responders program where we're trying to find veterans that either hunt or would like to learn how to hunt, but we don't want them just to become hunters. We want them to become, give them new, a new mission to become a mentor. So you may have to learn to be a hunter, but in time, we want you to teach other people. And we want the youth, the women, whoever's going out with them to look up to them and go, these guys are heroes in our community and in our nation because they've given so much and now they're out there giving back. Mm -hmm. And then we just started the new program, Forgotten Rights, which is to try to find people of color because there's a big lack of folks that have diversity that are getting into hunting for whatever reasons in the past. They just haven't had that door to get in, and we want to kind of help in that regard. And that's why Ray Livingston's going to be running that program. So we have three programs that are geared mostly toward adults. And, and all those programs are fairly the same size, fairly the same uh, interests, or is the, the basis, the basic sort of intro to hunting mentorship, is that still your bread and butter, like the biggest chunk of, of, of the work that you do? Yeah. Yeah, and the same, if, if, if we're taking a new woman hunter out there, it's still mentoring, and the same as it would be taking a 12-year-old. You're teaching a new hunter all those skills. Now, the adults, what's, what's nice about the adults is they generally have the resources. If they're really interested, they've got a job, and they'll, on their own, go out and purchase the gear and, and that sort of thing. So that's that's nice. And and by the way, just in the R3 world, it's, we have to kind of watch ourselves. There's a lot of research, several research papers out there that say the word mentoring is not appropriate to be used with adults. It's only appropriate to be used with kids. Why do they say that? And, well, the research shows that a lot of the, that mentoring is more of a close-knit relationship, almost an intimate relationship between, and the, the, these folks in the research are saying, we get to pick our mentors. You can't tell me I'm your mentor. You can't, you can tell me I'm your coach. I'm your trainer, but a mentor is a special relationship that only me as the new person can pick. I get to pick you. You don't pick me. So for us just to go out and say, we're going to assign you a mentor or you're, you're, you're going to have a mentor. There's folks that are saying, we don't want a part of that because mentor is, a, is more intimate and it's got to be a personal decision. It's, there's, there's research is out there. There's, there's fear that people are not coming into hunting because They've been told we're going to get you a mentor. It's like no, no, you you don't get. Sounds to pick a bunch. Of, sounds like a bunch of academic gobbledygook, man. It sounds like a bunch of academics that are, you know, either lumpers or splitters, right? And when it comes yeah, to terminology, yeah. they're like in the the splitters class. And ah. well, there's a there's a national R three symposium where all the not all but most of the active R three practitioners and I, I, your listeners may know what R three is, and that's the the term from years ago about recruiting new hunters and retaining the ones that are currently in hunting and reactivating those that have left hunting. That's the R3. And at that research where all the people, R3 practitioners come, this research has been put out there and we've been told if we're not adhering to that, then we're really not 
state-of-the-art R3 practitioner, so I'm, I'm just laying it out there that this is what the research says. But we, we use the term mentors pretty much exclusively, but we use the caveat that we understand some people may not want to be. If you want to call me a coach and I'm taking you out, I don't care. As long as I'm teaching you and you're willing to learn, and at the end of the day or end of the, at the end of our relationship, you're a self-independent hunter. Call me whatever you want. Call me old Rick. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Rick, what do you say to those, um, since you're, you're, you seem to be, you know, well-connected with the R3 movement, you probably are well aware of sentiment out there that says R3 needs to disappear in that yeah. there is a lot of money being spent on recruiting, reactivating, and retaining hunters. But there's more and more and more hunters that they feel like, the numbers don't lie though, more hunters on the landscape, less land, more pressure, less tags, yet we're fueling more hunters to come into this already very, very, very crowded space. Yep, and I've heard that quite a bit, and in places I'm sure that is true. And again, what what I was saying earlier for us we're looking at the long term, and we may be able to say that today, but there's data out there, and it's real data that every fishing game agency can tell you exactly how many people bought licenses, and they can tell you exactly how old they are because that's recorded. And we know that there's a bell curve that, that a majority of the hunters are older. So if we all look back and just look around us at our friends and family, when they get to be in their 70s and all that, they start the search tapping out you know they've got bad knees bad hips you know bad health bad heart and all those things are going to happen and then we're going to wake up someday going well what's happening what happened to everybody but you're right today there's probably places that there, there's more hunters than there need to be mm. we just we we're actually going to drop a, a film this year we're actually dropping three films this year that all tie into sort of Pittman robertson and how Pittman robertson increased got significant increase in its funding through the pandemic obviously due to you know people right. being very scared and lots of guns uh being sold and ammunition sales going through the roof and uh we interviewed two women from opposite ends of the spectrum one who came to hunting during the pandemic because she wanted to get closer to her food source right and then we interviewed another lady who's been in the hunting game for 21 years and is essentially a hunter's education instructor. And we, she took us, she's, in, she's from Arizona, and she took us into the public land around her house that she likes to hunt. And we went on opening day of archery season, and we sat her down to interview, and Rick, there was a 20-minute stretch where we couldn't interview because it was just truck after truck after truck after truck coming into this public land. And she's like, look, see, this is what I'm talking about. This land cannot take any more animals. Yes, there's a million acres of land here to hunt. But only about 50,000 acres of it is actually productive hunting ground because of the food, water, resources for wildlife. So her argument is, spend the money on the habitat to expand that 50,000 to maybe 80,000 or 100,000, then all of a sudden we're in a better shape. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. My background, by the way, I was a habitat biologist for the U.S. Forest Service for most of my early career. Oh, fantastic. And so my job was to create habitat was through prescribed burning and planting and just all sorts of things that I did to promote habitat. The design of timber cells can be done so it actually sure. promotes habitat versus, you know, making it degraded. Did you do any so work that, that down here career. in the southeast? Were you in the southeast at all at any time in your career? Well, what, what did you call I was Were in, you in Mississippi uh, or Alabama? Arkansas. I was in Arkansas for just a, a little while. Okay. But most of my most of my career was out west okay. after I did my master's in wildlife at Utah State. So I put a plug in for them. I spent most of my career out uh, out west. I had uh, my um my my sort of my day job is um, being a restoration ecologist for the last twenty years, and oh, cool. uh, I have very very good friends in the in the U.S. Forest Service, specifically in, in um, the longleaf pine ecosystem community, uh, Mississippi, yeah. Alabama, Georgia. Um, there's a great I'll give him a shout out. There's a great forester called Ben Battle uh, that I got to know, and he's a really large, like six foot four, six foot five African American <laughs> chap, and uh, but a super gentle giant, and just just an incredible forester. And um, no, I love I love the idea of habitat restoration, and it's certainly needed, and land is certainly needed. But I'm also of the opinion that you are right. Maybe right now, we, we may just have to endure the pain that is a little bit of crowdedness. But in five years or ten years' time, when that bell curve shifts significantly, yeah. it'll be a very interesting. Um, it'd be interesting to see what the, the the state of play is. Yeah. Well, then you got other issues which I don't know that we are to chase those rabbits, but like in Idaho, the, there's predator predator issues that have kept some of the populations Rick, from maybe no rebounding. there's no wolves in Idaho. Come on, man. I've only seen three or four myself, but I wasn't quick, I wasn't quick <laughs> enough to, to fill my tag. <laughs> Rick, what is, the, what is the future hold for the uh, uh, First Hunt Foundation? Do you have a goal to be in all 50 states? Yeah, that's our, our goal is to be the largest boots on the ground, new hunter mentoring organization in the nation. And it's sort of a movement because, like I say, I started it and it's just taken off. And When did you start it, Rick? It started and we actually got in our nonprofit status in April of 2015. Okay. So it's what, seven years, eight years going on now. Mm -hmm. And it just continues. And, and what's interesting would be, I think we'd be much bigger. I know we would if, if we had paid staff, but no one, including myself, gets paid. Yeah. That's unique for an organization as large as ours where we have no paid staff. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is a volunteer. Mm -hmm. I do have one contractor that does mail and file stuff because I got tired of mailing all these <laughs> packages. And so we, you know, about 10 hours or 15 hours a week, we pay somebody else to mail the stuff. But other than that, nobody gets paid. Yeah. Yes. So all the money we gather goes into the goes into the program. We've been fortunate that Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is our biggest sponsor with their hunting heritage program, and they they've given us close to a hundred thousand a year for about the last four years. And we uh, and with that we deliver. This last this year we're, we don't have the final data in, but it'd be well over ten thousand days 
that we will have been out training somebody in a hunting skill or actually taking them hunting. Yeah, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, I knew um, Christy Titus sent me an email. Um, it was probably April, May of last year saying, hey, you need to get, you know, keep this guy on your radar. Um, and when you get a time, you know, engage him. And I apologize, it took me this long uh, to engage you, Rick. And then we had little blups in, in uh, scheduling, um, but I'm glad we got, it, we got it wrapped up. If you had, you've got the floor. What, is, what, what does Rick Brazel think about in terms of hunting and its future? And what, what does your heart say? Well, my heart says, well, first of all, I'm a grandfather. I've got 11 grandchildren. Wow. And I, and I look, yeah, I look back. I have four sons, and they've been productive. <laughs> and I look back. I look, I look back, you know, me, I, my dad wasn't a hunter. And a lot of people think, oh, you're a hunter to hunt all the time. And because and, uh, I spent nearly 50 days a year taking kids out, plus my own 30 or 40 days of hunting. So I, I thought I died and went to heaven when I'm hunting 80 to 100 days a year, you know. But um, I, I look back at that development in my path and my journey, and I just, my, it touches my heart when I can see somebody learn this stuff. And I hope we save hunting. Our mission is to save hunting. But even if we don't, I think of all the people we're going to touch. Is that old story? You remember the story of the guy walking on the beach, mm -hmm. and starfish are everywhere, mm -hmm. and they're going, Why do you th you're never going to save all of them. He said, but I saved that one. Mm -hmm. And so if we can turn a lot of folks into loving the outdoors, experiencing it, becoming self-sufficient hunters, I think we're going to be successful. So I'm not basing success on saving hunting overall. I wish I could say that. I wish I could claim that. But who knows what's going to happen with everything else in politics and everything else five years from now. But if we can change it, thousands, of, our goal is thousands of people a year. We're going to affect their lives for something that we love and that we can share because we have the, the experience and the time to share it. So that's, that's kind of what I want to do for me is leave a legacy. And, and I want to have this thing so when I finally walk away from it that I can look back and go, I know thousands of people a year are still learning about something that's so dear to me. Uh -huh. Rick, how many people do you think you have mentored, engaged with since 2015? Wow, that's a good question. I'm going to have to research that. but um, It'd be a good question to raise money well, with. Know, it's a good yeah, answer to well, raise money with. It is. I think last year we, because when I say we have, we'll have over 10,000 mentor days, it could be that four of those days with one person, you take a person out and teach them how to shoot, maybe a time or two, you teach, take them out of hunting a time or two, and maybe they get harvested. So maybe four or five days for one person. So it's how you break that down into the number of actual people. And we've been throwing out that it's, it's over 2,000 people a year for now. But, but again, our goal, our goal is to have, we've got 850 mentors. My goal is to have thousands literally thousands of volunteer people doing this mm -hmm. so then that number is that number is just going to be huge well let's uh let's see if we can help you how do people that have been listening to this say wow i you know i i have the i have the time i have access to land plus all public land 
how can they become a mentor of yours or how can they apply to become a mentor of yours? Right. Well, they can go to our website, www.firstfoundation.org. First spelled F-I-R-S-T or one S-T? You know, it's, it's spelled F-I-R-S-T. Perfect. Huntfoundation.org. And there's a mentor sign-up form, and you send that in, and we do a criminal background check. It's an online background check, and it's a good one. Basically, it finds out if you've ever been in trouble. And I've turned down a lot of people, too. I mean, it's not a guarantee. If if, uh, if you got a bad record, even in uh, non-hunting-related stuff, we don't really want to take the liability of having you on. Anyway, you, you sign up, and then you'll get a package in the mail with some information, a certificate allowing you to be, be a mentor. And our insurance will be in effect immediately as soon as you're approved as far as your liability insurance. And then we try to get stuff going when we have uh, chapters. We're starting to form chapters now across the nation. So we have a lot of individual people, but we have chapters like in Alabama. We don't have a state director yet, uh, but we have a chapter down there and they're already hosting little events and starting to do things. Because if you get the synergy of five or six of your people with the common interest, then you can use our nonprofit status to go get donations to host events. But as an individual mentor, we don't allow people to go out and get donations for themselves to do a one-person event. We just don't do that. So it kind of grows, you know, individuals, chapters, and then you get hopefully state leaders that get more chapters. Like in Wyoming, we got six chapters. In Washington, got four chapters. They're doing some huge, phenomenal stuff. I should send you a video link a professional video we did last year for 30 people on the first turkey hunt for three days. Yeah, I think I saw that video. I think I saw that that video. Yeah, it was up in the mountains, right? Yeah, it was up in Washington, uh, northeast Washington. And it was just phenomenal. And that's the kind of stuff chapters can do. And that's really fun. And then after the hunt, we stay hooked up with them. It's not a one and done. It's, hey, we're going to teach you how to shoot the first day and track and do all that stuff and we'll go hunting and if we have time we'll process the meat show you how to do that before you leave leave packaged with packaged mm-hmm. meat and then we're going to have you hooked up for the next hunt and the next hunt and the next time do you um, final question really and maybe this is another number that you don't know off the top of your head do you have a I don't know what I would call it not a continuation percentage um, i.e. you took them out hunting for the first time, mentored them, and then gave them wings. How many of those right. kept going, or they just never hunted again? That We don't have that data. I mean, we've talked about that as a leadership team, that we need to follow up on that, because we've got 800 folks. We're growing so fast yeah. with volunteers. It's like sometimes you're, you're running with your head down because you're just running. And so we stopped her once and we go, man, we need to get that data. Well, how are we going to get it? You know, we've got to do a survey. We got to, and in, in, in our data collection right now, we do have a component where we ask the question, is this the first time that you've taken this person out? So we're capturing those first times and then we can extrapolate that since they said, no, it's not the first time that this is a repeat. Mm-hmm. And we're just, we're just starting to do that. So hopefully this year we'll have a little more of that data. But that's a great question. No, outstanding. Outstanding. Well, Rick, uh, let us know how we can help you. You know, Blood Origins is built simply to convey the truth about hunting. And uh, when you have those big statistics pulled in terms of number of people that you've affected essentially over the 
course of your existence, please let me know. I'd be happy to build an infographic and, and shout from the top of the rooftops on, on, the, on the amount of work that, that you've been doing to recruit new people into this tribe that we love so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, we could use, we could use all the help we can get. So firsthuntfoundation.org first is where they can find you. Any, anywhere else that they can find you? Yeah, we're on Facebook under just First Hunt Foundation. We're on Instagram. I think it's First Hunt Foundation as well. Okay. And uh, that's it. All right, my man. Well, appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day uh, to uh, connect with us, man. Appreciate right. you. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.